Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on our podcast, we have a conversation on the future of evangelicalism. Well, Scott, this year for evangelicalism, um, man, I think everybody could say uh, it's been quite the year, a lot going on, and uh, there's a lot of questions really about the future of evangelicalism. So you ready to tackle this topic here today? I am. I don't know if we'll bring it down, but we're going we're gonna to make an attempt. Cool. Well, probably a good place to start would just be talking about a definition. Uh, one yeah. definition I, I've heard, it was from Jonathan Merritt, actually. He wrote a couple great articles um, on around this topic. Um, and he says that since 1989, most scholars have accepted that the term evangelical refers to anyone who holds any of these four beliefs. One, a high regard for the Bible, an emphasis on Jesus's crucifixion, the need for people to be converted, and a connection between faith and public life. Uh, Scott, what do you think? Do you agree with those categories um, to define evangelicals? And I guess if so, where did this whole idea of evangelicalism come from in the first place? Well, uh, Jonathan Merritt's uh, definition there comes uh, is a is a bit of a uh, a framing, a little bit in his own direction of the famous research by David Bebbington an English scholar who also teaches a lot in the United States at Truett Seminary in, at, uh, at Baylor. And David Bevington uh, developed what he calls the evangelical quadrilateral, that an evangelical is not someone who believes any of these, but someone who affirms all of them. And they are in, uh, they, he calls them like bibliocentrism, and that is they're centered on the Bible, the second one he calls crucicentrism, and that is the emphasis upon the cross as the means of atonement for our sins. He does not mean by that that he's going to dismiss the resurrection, though some people do. A third uh, is conversionism, and that is the need for every person to be personally converted by believing in Christ, trusting in Christ, and opening themselves up to the Holy Spirit. And the fourth one is activism. But activism is not simply about public faith and public life, as John, John Merritt defined it. But uh, activism is about uh, a Christian life that, uh, you know, another, a, a, an evangelical is someone who has been saved, who's been converted, who trusts in the cross of Christ and believes in the Bible. And as a result, they become active as Christians in living the Christian life vigorously, seriously, and this will have an impact in their public life. So it's not, it also involves missions, evangelism, and witnessing. So it's not simply an activism in the public life. This has become the standard definition theologically. But Chaz, listen to this. Uh, if, if, you, if you listen to the meaning of the word evangelical in popular discourse, yeah. you get into all kinds of trouble because a lot of people who call themselves evangelicals uh, might affirm some of these, but maybe don't affirm any of them in a traditional way, and yet they're connected to evangelicalism. So at times people have said David Bevington's quadrilateral is a theological understanding of evangelicalism. It gets at the heart of what evangelicals have traditionally believed. 
But there's another sense of evangelical that is called sociological. And the sociological is whoever is officially a part of the evangelical movement um, and what uh, is a part of it, and it shows that what they believe is a lot more diverse and in some ways a lot less than what you find in the quadrilateral. So if you start defining it by people who are connected to evangelicalism, for instance, um, uh, Joel Osteen is sometimes called an evangelical. Pat Robertson is sometimes called an evangelical. Uh, and uh, Randy Balmer uh, wrote a book, has written a number of books on evangelicalism, and he argues that evangelicalism is a patchwork quilt of all kinds of people, mm -hmm. some of whom uh, others would want nothing to do with and think they're heretics, but yet they think they're evangelical. I'll, I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. One of my friends who recently passed away was Phyllis Tickle. I look at Phyllis Tickle as sort of a Protestant high church, or not so much high church, but Episcopalian, um, liberal or progressive evangelical type. And she often said that she was an evangelical in my presence. And I'd say, Phyllis, you're no more evangelical than I am Eastern Orthodox. And she would just laugh at me. But there, there's an interesting... Uh, there's an interesting de development in the last 20 years where a lot of people want to call themselves evangelicals, but they don't mean by that what those what that quadrilateral is. And that leads me then to a, a third way of understanding evangelical in our world, and that is a political definition. Kate, Caitlin ba Beatty, who used to write for Christianity Today and now is a distinguished journalist for a magazine for people like the Washington Post. Caitlin Beatty um, got very irritated by the election of Donald Trump and wondered aloud in, in a column that was widely read um, and widely a source of irritation for others. But still, she really poked uh, she really poked evangelicals in the chest with this one. And she said, uh, if 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 81 percent of evangelicals voted for Trump, I don't understand what the word evangelical means. And she basically wanted to say, I don't really want much to do with that term. Yeah. I feel now like a lot of people said that. That, w that wasn't just her. You know, that's, that's right. A, when she wrote that article. A lot of people. Yeah. When she wrote that article, Chaz, she was touching a very deep uh, concern, worry, let's just say absolute bewilderment on mm -hmm. the part of people who often call themselves evangelicals who want no part of someone like Donald Trump and wondering why evangelicals do not have more discrimination and discernment to vote for someone like Donald Trump. Many people even, you know, I've heard hail at the end of evangelicalism with all of that um, turmoil and, and what went down with the election and evangelicals' role and however it was defined. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I I I think that's right. But but here's what I would say: evangelicalism is not coming to an end mm -hmm. until everybody in evangelicalism decides uh, that they're not going to call themselves evangelical, or until someone seizes such control of that term that others would say, "I am anti-evangelical, non-evangelical, ah-evangelical. I'm something else." Mm -hmm. But right now, the term is so fluid so plastic, so flexible, so undefined, so um, 
useless, that it has become a, a term that people would, would say, you know, are you an evangelical? And they'll say, well, I thought I was, I have been, but I'm not sure what you're asking me anymore. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and that's and that's what's happened to the term. It has been so politicized by Republican politics, mm -hmm. by the desire of of right wing uh, pastors to identify themselves with the Republican Party, in spite of brilliant uh, critique of people like Russell Moore, mm -hmm. who's in the Southern Baptist Church and who just thinks that, um, you know, he thinks that evangelicals have sold themselves out. Even someone who's an orthodox person like Rod Dreher has said publicly that uh, that evangel that Christians need to quit aligning themselves with political parties. Mm -hmm. But but that's but that's the case. And I have run into my life in my life hundreds of people, literally. I mean, I'm I'm accurate in saying this, mm -hmm. who call themselves evangelicals. Who I would say, wow, I don't know why you would. And then I've run into all kinds of others who want to disconnect themselves from the word evangelical and, in a sense, are searching for a label, wish we could get rid of labels. And then every now and then the label pops up and here we go again, trying to figure out who is an evangelical. Yeah. So I guess my question would be, how in the first place did this image or in the, the one particular way evangelicalism gets defined um, got the um, the rap for being normally male dominant white wing Republicans and that be their political slant and uh, approach to, to really everything maybe in life? I call it Reaganology. Yeah. All right. I, I, the evangelical movement emerges in many ways. Uh, it's, it's not as simple as this, but it emerges in the 50s and 60s and 70s out of American fundamentalism. And it was spearheaded by people like Carl F.H. Henry, who was calling the evangelicals uh, to a more intellectual conscience and, and becoming more intellectually respectable and to becoming a little bit more uh, politically engaged. It is often said that in the days of fundamentalism, evangelicalism, uh, and, which was equated with fundamentalism then, was disengaged from the public sector. I think the, the best scholarship shows that they were never totally disengaged, but there was less of it. But what really happened under Ronald Reagan? And I believe that the, the person who has written this story the best is Randall Balmer. Um, and he's written a number of books on this. Uh, Mine Eyes Have Seen the Glory is the one on the patchwork quilt. But he's got a number of stories and a great biography of Jimmy Carter that brings some of these things out. And that is, in the, in the era of Ronald Reagan, several things coalesced and suddenly provoked evangelicals to think they had to take America back for God by getting involved in the public sector. The first thing that happened was when Bob Jones University uh, insisted on mixed dating as inappropriate and impermissible at their school. And that was that whites and blacks were not to be dating one another. And the government sent, uh, stepped in at some levels, and this provoked many conservative leaders to stand up for Bob Jones's willingness to, to state its own rules and that the government ought not to be telling a Christian college how to live. Mm -hmm. Well, 
this is the the uh, the lurking story behind much of the rise of the political engagement under Ronald Reagan, but it is often ignored, and the story is told that it was abortion that co- coalesced the forces. Abortion came in much later. Hmm. What happened was racism um, uh, provoked its ugly head, and the desire to protect Christian schools then became the uh, major cause. The government ought not to be stepping in on religious liberties, and they were protected. Stephen Carter wrote a book called The Culture of of Disbelief uh, on some of these themes. But then then Reagan arose, and all of a sudden you had political leaders from Francis Schaeffer, and then you had people like Jerry Falwell, and you had um, uh, James Kennedy down at Coral Ridge Presbyterian, and then you had some Southern Baptists that got involved, and then you had James Dobson who got involved, and these people became the political voices for evangelicalism mm-hmm. as a conservative political movement. And from the time of Ronald Reagan on, evangelicalism got connected to the Republican Party in a way that it had not been connected before. And it became a rallying cry to protect religious liberties so that evangelicals could practice in their institutions what they believed without government interference. And uh, as I said, part of that behind that was was race was the issue of mixed races, uh, mixing races. So um, this is a sad story to tell yeah. be- because evangelicals then became connected to a political party, to a, a host of political platform issues. Uh, for a while, to be a Republican was to be a free market enterprise, and evangelicals in Europe were just completely baffled by by this connection because while they've been solid evangelicals throughout history, uh, adhering to all four of the characteristics of David Bebbington, they've never been so radically defined by free market enterprise. Well, then it, it got connected to abortion, and then it got connected to private schools, and then it got connected to one thing after another. Mm -hmm. Now it's same-sex marriage and um, public bathrooms uh, being uh, for, uh, you know, being defined by gender and sexuality, etc. And all these issues then have become rallying cries for evangelicals, for a certain kind of evangelical, that they don't want the government getting into into their pockets, and they don't want the government opening up their doors and and inspecting what they're doing. And as a result of this, Chaz, there are many people today who say, this is embarrassing to me. I'll tell you, it's embarrassing to me. Mm -hmm. And I find find another way of approaching this issue is rather than to get involved with Democrats or to get involved with Republicans. Uh, I'm an Anabaptist, but, and I, and I believe we ought to be engaged through the church as our political voice. Uh, But nonetheless, it has led to a blurring of what the word means, evangelical, and it has led to um, a very serious distancing by a number, especially of what I will call now, with with total affirmation, skinny jeans evangelicals. Yeah, these people think that this is ridiculous, and we ought to be pursuing a different way. We ought to be conveying a different message, and and I and I totally sympathize with them. 
So what do you think that the capital C church, all of Christianity, can learn from the decisions and choices and consequences of this route that um, this particular movement of, of the political arena of evangelicalism took? What can we learn and, and what do we need to, to be able to, um, to know to move forward, I guess, as time rolls on? I wrote in my book, In Kingdom Conspiracy, that in one very short span of time, I read something by Randall Balmer, Dallas Willard, and Carl Henry. These were, these were things written in completely different decades. And all three of them basically said the same thing. And they basically said, if you look back at what, and they weren't all three different decades, but they were, they were quite, they weren't at all in the same year. Um, if you look back, over the last 30 years of evangelical engagement or the last few decades of evangelical engagement with the political party through aggressive support and political mongering for Republicans, you can see a correlation, and that is the continual demise of evangelical in the public sector and a total almost a total disrespecting of evangelicalism because of its alignment with a political party. Those three people are not the best of friends. These are not three people who agree theologically. Carl Henry, a conservative evangelical who started Christianity Today and was very involved in politics, and his son became uh, a senator. Randall Balmer, who's a more, who is a progressive, and Dallas Willard, who's in the spiritual formation movement, who seems not to be involved in the political process at all. But all three of them agree that evangelical engagement in the public sector from the days of Ronald Reagan on has led to a demise of the significance, reputation, and prophetic voice of evangelicalism in the United States. And I think they are absolutely right. Evangelicalism has compromised itself in its political alignment with the Republic, Republican Party. And those who think a true evangelical vote Republican are making a very serious theological mistake and a missional mistake even more because missionally we are losing our capacity to speak in our society because of this alignment. Yeah, and I think a lot of the tragedy too is how beautiful and rich the word evangelical is. I mean, the and the concept uh, of being able to to share good news and and being centered on that because I mean, my goodness, the the church is, is founded on that and is propelled through that. So um, I think just how that term has been so hijacked and misused is in all of the different ways that you've explained how it's happened throughout history. Uh, I wonder if you have any ideas or thoughts on how there can be, I don't know, kind of a reclaiming of what it does truly mean to be a good news people, to share good news in a winsome and attractive and, and authentic way that was designed by Jesus for the church to be shared in the first place and, and how he wanted it to be shared. Well, Chaz, uh, uh, if, if I could throw a magic wand over things, I would do this. I would do it right now. I'd stop this this podcast and do it right now. I I don't believe right now. I don't believe there's any way to recover the word evangelical to have a positive meaning. Um, I I do think it's possible, but I just don't think it's going to happen. I think evangelicals 
have compromised so much on political alliance that they've lost their chance to be heard with that word. The only solution, I think, is for this group to completely break apart and become something else and and let somebody else let the uh, let the uh, conservative evangelical conservative political alliance people have the term Mm -hmm. and we'll find others or let them uh, uh, give them another term let them use another term um, and and then the word evangelical can be recuperated i think that instead of trying to recoup the word evangelical i think evangelicalism needs a revival Mm. it needs a revival of the significance of what the church is designed to be in the world, a revival of the significance of the Christian life for for Christians in the United States, and let people speak with goodness and charity and love and holiness and kindness and compassion and good works, uh, and let that become the voice in local communities that people see and hear and say, if that's what an evangelical is, I want to be a part. But as long as we're going to continue to fight and uh, get into strident arguments over political platform issues, over issues that arise in the political arena, whether it's same-sex marriage, uh, which the Californian evangelicals wasted millions and millions of dollars trying to overturn, uh, as long as we're going to do that, uh, we're going to lose our voice in the public uh, realm. And, and and if we turn from that approach to approach that says we're going to be Christians in our community in a way that witnesses to who Jesus is, uh, I think we have a chance of influencing the United States. Yeah, I totally uh, agree. I wonder if there's anything that you think we could learn from the rest of the world, or Christianity and the rest of the world, because I feel like, you know, wrapped up with all of this is for so much of the time, uh, Western Christianity and evangelicalism specifically has been so focused on kind of being the great white hope to the rest of the world. And we'll show you how to do church. We'll show you how to, you know, do all of these things. But in reality, Christianity, the the center and the majority of Christianity isn't any longer in the Western church. And there's a lot of incredible things happening in Africa, in Asia, in all these other parts of the world. South America. South America that are not Western. Well, you know, I'm not I'm not um, I'm not an expert on world Christianity and how Christianity is operating at the ground level in all these communities. So uh, I would say that instead of uh, of my picking out an example and saying this is the way we should do, because I probably don't understand that culture enough, I would say that uh, throughout the world where Christianity uh, has been swallowed up by secularization, let's say Western Europe, Uh, We are looking at the future of the United States church very likely, and that is those churches are carrying out their business in a quiet way as faithful presence, to use the title from my colleague David Fitch's new book. Uh, They are carrying out the gospel in a missional way, 
in local communities and instead of thinking that they need to be involved in the political sector to change uh, what's going on in, in government, they have decided to focus on living the Christian life and witnessing and worshiping God in their community. So the church, and I agree with Randall Balmer on this 100%, the church is most effective when it operates from the margins, not from the halls of power, and not from the center of government in Washington, D.C., or Springfield, Illinois, or Chicago, Illinois. The church is most effective when it carries on its business of witness, of edification, of fellowship, of instruction, and worship in a local community, sharing life with one another, and where families uh, nurture their children into the Christian faith of that sort, uh, the church will flourish. Yeah. Absolutely, and that's that's what it's all about. We want that's what we want to help set you up as our listeners to be able to to lead and be a part of the church that's doing that. So, Scott, uh, to close our podcast today, you got any closing thoughts or anything to wrap up all of the things that we've talked about? You know, it's in a sense, it's kind of depressing, and uh, I think a lot of evangelical Christian types who are now very nervous and reluctant to use the word evangelical are also depressed about evangelicals and about evangelicalism. Uh, take heart. There are, there are millions of wonderful Christians in the United States who will claim the word evangelical, even if reluctantly, who are doing good, who are people of goodness, kindness, life in the Spirit, understand their theology. They're trying to live out what the Bible has taught us. There's lots of them. And we need to join those people and affirm those people. Um, and uh, instead of spending our time critiquing evangelicalism, I think it's time to become a new kind of evangelical ourselves. Absolutely. Thanks, Scott. Well, thank you for joining us today. We hope you've enjoyed the conversation. And uh, as always, please remember to subscribe if you haven't done so, so you don't miss any of our other conversations coming your way about how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. 